want to bring a message I've called Walk This Way. And you can almost hear the thing exactly. Well, dude looked like a lady. He wasn't going to work in church. So I thought walk this way would be more appropriate. You know, think about this. Uh, in our culture, nobody is more celebrated or venerated in our culture than Hollywood stars. Come on. I mean, Hollywood stars, they're the people we all look up to. Whether it's music, musical or act, acting, people who live in Hollywood who are called Hollywood stars, our culture is obsessed with them. So much of our social media feeds are consumed by what are Hollywood stars eating, doing, saying, divorcing, dating, breaking up with. So much of our lives are consumed by, you know, the news of what someone else is doing in Hollywood, a new movie. So much of our time is spent in environments like this, cinemas, consuming or listening on Spotify to what Hollywood produces. And most people would judge their level of happiness or sense of success or sense of well-being off of how they line up to whatever Hollywood people are doing. Which is amazing because the, the pinnacle of human culture in so many regards are those people who live in this place called Hollywood. But the question is, who do Hollywood people look up to? I mean, is there a light greater than the limelight of all of human humanity? And if there is, what is it and who would look to it? Well, one of the interesting things that maybe you have never thought about or realized is that many, many, many Hollywood stars, singers, songwriters, actors, and actresses are coming to Jesus. Some, of course, were born in Christian homes and raised Christian, but a lot of people are, are experiencing the reality of a Jesus who lives, a Jesus who loves, and a Jesus who liberates, and have put their faith in him. Recently, for example, let me give you some examples. Oh, Mark Wahlberg, who has a vibrant faith in Jesus, or Letitia Wright, who spoke publicly at an award ceremony, I'll quote her at the end, about her faith in Jesus. One of my favorite bands growing up was a band called Korn, and this is exactly what you expect a guy to look like who played the band called Korn. His name is Brian Welch. He also has become a passionate follower of Jesus. Chris Pratt, uh, the actor. Uh, Kat Von D, the famous makeup artist model. She's also just recently professed faith publicly in Jesus. One of my favorites is Mr. T. It just makes sense that Mr. T follows Jesus. I mean, Peter Fool, who don't know Jesus. Uh, and who, I mean, after, after that, whose name can you put up after Mr. T? Well, only one, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris follows Jesus. And again, if I start my Chuck Norris jokes, it will be the rest of the sermon. Some of you want me to do that, I won't. Um, also, Alice Cooper. Denzel Washington. Here's a funny and unexpected one. MC Hammer. Now, full disclosure, I'm not really sure how I feel with this. It's like, what will all of eternity look like in heaven if I'm there and MC's, MC Hammer is there? Will it just like be a perpetual replay of, can't touch this? Anyway, uh, Justin Bieber uh, famously and very publicly uh, came to faith in Jesus, got publicly baptized. And one that surprised me this week, everybody, Rob Schneider. Anyone know who Rob Schneider is? He's now the famous Adam Sandler. He's a, you can do it. Just follow Jesus guy. So he recently did an article where he said, listen, I've put my trust in Jesus, my faith in Jesus. I've realized this world is full of empty promises. And even though I've achieved the pinnacle of success, really it's an empty bag. And actually we should all put our faith in Jesus. It's so interesting to me that in our culture, the people that we idolize, people we look up to, they're looking up to somebody else. That even though they're ordinary people with an extraordinary platform, ultimately they're all 
also discovering they too have an extraordinary purpose. God is using their lives to inspire the extraordinary. And even if you don't have the same platform, fame, or renown as they do, you are just as valuable in God's eyes and just as called. But I want us to think about this also because Every single one of us shares this one thing in common, that all of us came into this environment today with a worldview. We have a, we have a filter through which we view the world. It's true that we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. We like to think that we're objective, sentient beings who just are able to observe and think and decide and that what we believe and the values we hold and the priorities that we have are uniquely ours, but actually a disproportionate amount of how we view the world, how we think, how we prioritize, even our values, are things that we've inherited through family, friends, hurt, betrayal, TV stars, songs that we listen to as teenagers. All these things work together to shape our worldview. And ultimately speaking, if we're Jesus followers, if we, if you're in this room today, you say, I follow Jesus, then part of following Jesus is recognizing that our primary worldview isn't a populist worldview as we see from Hollywood, or philosophical, or academic, or intellectual, or, or, or artistic worldview. Our primary worldview should be that we see the world through the filter of Jesus. So rather than just reacting to things according to, here's how my father did it, or here's how my culture of origin did it, the better question is, what would Jesus do? How does Jesus see this? What would Jesus' heart or attitude be, or response be in these scenarios? And one author put it this way, he said, one of one way that we can test the worthiness of our worldview. Again, it's not a matter of do, of, of do I, don't I. Every one of us has a worldview, and if we have one, one of the ways that we can test the worthiness of our worldview, our religious claim, is to ask the question, does this worldview bring all the parts of the puzzle of my life and my world together? Are the separate pieces that make up normal existence integrated so that each is meaningful and in clear focus when seen through the lens of this worldview. In other words, what the author is saying is, uh, you know, if you're trying to figure out, is my worldview useful, helpful, productive, is it a good worldview? Ask yourself the question, as you compartmentalize your life into like my emotional self, my physical self, my family, my friends, my work, my dreams, aspirations, temptations, my sinfulness, my brokenness, my, my, my deceivers, as you, uh, my spirituality, my eternity, as you take all these pieces that make up you and how you view the world, if your worldview can encompass all those things, it's probably a decent worldview, or at least a helpful one, depending on what it believes in. But if your worldview has to exclude certain parts of your life, certain fragments of your existence, because it's too hard to rest with or explain those things, then that isn't a good worldview. What we have in a relationship with God is God's, the perspective that God gives of the world through his word and through a relationship with his son is able to encompass everything every part of our existence. There isn't one part of our world that is intimidating or frustrating or that you know, we have to hide because we don't talk about Bruno and this family. It's like, it's like Jesus Christ as our Lord uh, and center of our lives makes sense of the parts just as he makes sense of the core. This is the characteristic of light. It is like a lamp unto our 
feats. Now, I get to talk to people all the time. I love talking to people about what they believe, what they think, uh, history, philosophy, culture. And what's so interesting is usually people who are informed will have very clear thoughts on politics, on religion, on sociology, on nature, on all these things. But when it comes to the brokenness of humanity, or when it comes to the possibility of eternity, or when it comes to a relationship with God, most people's worldview is not built for purpose, are equipped, are able to even have the conversation, let alone come up with some answers. So I want to challenge you today, if you're not a Jesus follower, rethink your worldview. And if you are a Jesus follower, understand that we've already been given one from God in his word. This is our worldview. This is, we don't interpret this through the filter of the world. We interpret the world through the filter of his word. This is the authority. And even though our cultural moment right now would scoff at that and go like, oh, don't be serious, read the Bible. And even though people feel, you know, uh, you know, right now kind of intellectually arrogant or as if we've somehow culturally surpassed our need for God's word, when we're all dead and buried and every single actor, actress, songwriter, a musician is all dead and buried, when our culture has forgotten Nirvana and Metallica and Pearl Jam, when the world has moved on, people don't even know our favorite movies, Wayne's world will be forgotten. When the world has passed on and the world is living in another cultural moment, way in the future, still the word of God will stand. Still it will be true. Still it will be a foundation. Still it will be the hope for humanity. And so if for Jesus follows, our worldview is this word right here. So to help us today unpack the question, what does it mean to walk out in this light? We're going to turn to God's word. Chapter, John, 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read from verse 5. Again, all of today's notes are in the Bible app by you versions. If you have the Bible app, click on more, click on events, and then you will find uh, Lighthouse Church Dublin, and all of today's notes are there. Okay, First John chapter 1, verse 5, 7. I'll read it here, and I'll come back around and go through it verse by verse. This is the Apostle John writing. He says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That last bit is a little bit complex, so I'll come back and explain that in the end. Let me give you some context. So the author is uh, the Apostle John. John was an eyewitness. He was with Jesus. He was one of Jesus' you know, tight, tighter core members. There was like the 12, there was the 3, and Jesus had like a confident, like a, like a number 2, and that was John. So John was very personally, geographically, physically close to Jesus. And he, wrote, he writes the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. These are letters to churches. And he wrote the book of Revelation, which is the last book, not only of the New Testament, but also of the entire Bible. And in 1 John, he's writing to a local church, a body of believers, a group like this, trying to encourage them about the foundation of faith that they've received and about the essence of who God is. It's so easy for us to talk about what God does, but it's also important for us to be reminded about who God is. Because if we're going to interpret the world, if we're going to act and live and be in the world, it's not enough just to do, just to know what will God do. We have to also know what is God like. Because if I am to be like God, then what is God like? And so John's trying to, trying to lay a foundation in this church as to who God is, what God does, and what God is like. And in essence, in verse 5, he says, This 
is the message. This is not a component or part or additional extra. This is the message that we, and he doesn't mean a general we, he means like literally we who were first followers, we who seen Jesus, were with Jesus, ate with Jesus, you know, fist pumped Jesus. That's a cultural reference that I'm putting in there. It's not literally in the Bible, just you know. We have no, no record of John fist pumping Jesus, although that sounds like a cool thing to do. Uh, we've heard from him and we declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So John is saying, in essence, this is the this this is that this encompasses, this captures this next slide, please. This is the message. This is this. So what is the message? What he tells us: the message is a declaration of salvation. The message that we proclaim as the church isn't another version of some help, self-help, be a better, be a nicer, be a kinder person. There is power in the message. Like I told you last week, we are not ashamed of the gospel, that is the good news, because in the gospel there is a power for the transformation of human hearts, human minds, and human lives. There is no other power like it in the world. And John is saying, this is the message that we as human beings are in dire need of salvation. And that because if we were in dire need of salvation, we would all be well. We would have no need. If we could fix ourselves, heal ourselves, and help ourselves, then we would have no need for God or no need for everyone, anyone else. But the truth is, despite all of our intellect and all of our technology and all of the toys and all of the bells and all of all that we have available, everything that we have at our disposal, emotionally, physiologically, physically, digitally, despite all the things we have, still, as a, as a, a race, we are broken and we are hurting and we are divided and we are fighting. We cannot help ourselves. We cannot heal ourselves. And we cannot fix ourselves. We need essentially to be saved. Now what is this salvation John is speaking of? It's a salvation from the bondage of sin. Which of course is our culture's most favorite word right now, right? Doesn't everyone in our world love the world sin? Like if you just were to open up your Instagram or your X app or whatever it is you use and just say, the world is full of sinners. I mean, how many likes and comments do you think you get that are positive? You probably get a lot of, a lot of vitriol, right? You get a lot of pushback. Why? Because even the word sin is so confrontational in our culture right now. Partly because people misunderstand it, and partly because when we see the word sin, we're confronted with something in ourselves that we don't like in ourselves, so we get angry and become defensive. But the truth is this. Sin, which I'll unpack in a second, has a grip on the world. It has a grip in the hearts and minds of everybody. It has a grip in my life, your life, all of our lives. And if we don't do something about that grip, it becomes literally like a bondage. Like we are tethered. We are tied. We are handcuffed. We are unable to be free. And the message of salvation is this, that Jesus Christ came to break the bondage of sin. Not everyone has to accept that or believe it. Not everyone wants to. But to those who are willing and open, this is the good news, that Jesus sets us free. Now John kind of continues by clarifying that, but that God is not just a, a, a giver of light. Uh, he's not someone that, that, that uses light. God, in essence, in his very essence, God is light. What does light do? Light gives life. Life helps thing, light helps things grow. Light clarifies. There's something about safety in the light, right? 
Light, light has all these amazing properties. Well, as, as amazing as the light of the sun is, as amazing as artificial light is, God is in purest form. He is the very source of all light. Now, what's interesting is, is although you can turn on the light, you can't turn on darkness. Like, we didn't turn on the darkness. We turned off the light, right? There's this thing of where darkness exists where light does not. But as soon as you come into the light, what happens? Darkness is gone. Light and darkness cannot coexist in the same level, in the same space. Where there's no light, there's darkness. And where there is light, there is no darkness. This is very important. As C.S. Lewis said, uh, the Irish author, intellect, he said, we believe that the sun is in the sky at midday in summer, not because we can clearly see the sun. In fact, we cannot. Well, that's partially true. But in Ireland, if you look at the sun in the middle of summer, you can look at it all day long because it's so far away and so dull and so weak that you can literally stare at it all day. But if you're in a sunny country like Portugal or, or give me an island, Mallorca, if you stare at the sun, the midday sun in summer, you're going to go blind. What's C.S. Lewis's point? He said... We believe the sun is there, not because we see the sun, but because through the sun or by the sun, we see everything else. It's not looking at the sun that, give, that shows the reality of light. It's what the light does that reveals us the reality of light. In the same way, as Jesus follows, as we walk in the light, as we carry the light, what does light do? It's not that we, people can see the light in us per se. It's what the light is doing in us, what the light is doing through us that becomes evidence for the existence of light itself. John continues in verse 6. If then we claim to have fellowship, this is a beautifully rich word in the Greek language, so this letter originally was written in Greek, and that word fellowship speaks of communion, community. If we, if, we, if we claim to have fellowship, first of all, us vertically with God, and then us horizontally with each other, with Him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie, and do not live out the truth. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I, I think... I find or I feel like my reputation is important to me. How about you? Like, I don't like hearing that people are speaking Ill of, Ill of me behind my back. I don't like people saying I said things I didn't say, saying I did things I didn't do, or didn't, think, didn't do things I did do. I don't like people misconstruing my character or integrity. It matters to me, not, not that what people, people say per se, but, but it matters to me if people are speaking ill of me, right? And one of the worst things someone can call you is a liar. One of the worst accusations that can be brought against you is that you lied. It's awkward. It's, 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 it's hurtful. It's harmful. But what about you know, being, being blamed for a one-off event of you having you lied is one thing. What about your entire life being summarized in the term, this person was a liar? What John is saying is, if you're here and you claim to follow Jesus, and you, you walk in darkness, you're a liar. Now again, think about this. This is one of the reasons why I personally don't like the term Christian. What's a Christian? Well, I was born a Roman Catholic, so technically I was a Christian. Uh, apparently, the majority of the Irish population is Christian. I know loads of people who would say they're Christian, but live nothing like Christ. 
I've got a problem with the label Christian because it doesn't accurately define what it means to be a person who has a relationship with God and lives out God's will on the earth by doing God's work. So we, we, that's why we use the word, the term Jesus follower. Jesus follower better describes what it means to be in a relationship with God. That I that I'm, I'm actively pursuing intimacy with Him. I'm actively investing in this relationship. I want to be in communion and community with Him, and I want that to affect how I live out my life on the earth. And if I'm not actively prioritizing my relationship, if I'm not actively pursuing Him, if I'm not actively in the Word, then what happens? Well, if I were to, if we we're about to leave this building today, and after church I start following you, which I won't because that'd be weird. But let's just say I did. If we get down to where Penny's is, and you go right out towards the car park, out by the Driocht and all that place, and I go left, well, eventually, I'll, 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 we'll be so, the distance will be so great between us that I won't be able to hear what you're saying, I won't be able to see where you're going, and eventually we'll become completely disconnected. And again, that's what happens in any friendship, any marriage, any relationship. We stop, we can no longer hear what the other person is saying, we can no longer see where the other person is going, and eventually become so used to being by ourselves, what's the point of being together again? Being a Jesus follower means I prioritize the presence of God in my life. I pray. I read His Word. Not because I have to. Because I want to. I want to know what God is saying. I want to know what God's heart is. I want to know what, what God's filter is for how I should interpret these things. Because when I interpret these things through the filter of me, I've learned the hard way, that's not a good filter. The selfish, inward-focused, self-serving filter to which most of us live our lives is not a good filter. But the filter of Jesus makes you more compassionate. The filter of Jesus makes you more generous. The filter of Jesus makes you more kind. This filter of Jesus makes me hopeful and confident even when things around me challenge my sense of security and my certainty of the future. John is saying that if we walk in the light, we cannot walk in darkness. What he's not saying is, you have to be perfect. What he's not saying is, hey, if you walk in the light and you screw up, you're out. What he's saying is, if you try to walk to live two lives, if you try to live in two worlds, if you try to be in dark and light at the same time, it won't work. What is darkness? I mean, obviously we know what physical darkness is, but John's clearly using a metaphor. So what is this darkness he speaks of? Well, darkness can be summarized in three, three ways. Sin, selfishness, and substandard. Sin, first word. I've already touched on this. What is sin? Sin, in essence, is anything that is not God. So whatever God is, sin is the opposite. So if we say, well, you know, I'm going to murder someone. Why is that sin? Because God says every single human life matters. And as Jesus follows, we should be advocates for the sanctity of life. All life, regardless of race, gender, religion, worldview, political affiliation. All life matters everywhere all the time. If we, if we disregard it, that's sin. What about racism? or sexism, or egotism. Any of the isms usually are not God. They're sin. Why? Because they're outside the standard of God's uh, best plan for the world. What about something as simple as lying? Well, lying's a spectrum. There's like white lies, innocent lies, and there's like big, bad, malevolent lies, like lying about like something catastrophic. Well, in God's economy, all lies are sin. Just the other day, I was uh, talking about Sonny, I went to download his app, and on his app, it required him to put in his date of birth. But the, the app's minimum age was one year more than his age, so he's like, let's just, let's just, let's just lie on the app. 
And I was like, oh yeah, okay. So it's not a big deal, right? I mean, like, it's not like angry birds are going to come and knock on our front door and like look for a birth certificate, right? Like, no one's going to know. And it's like, well, you're going to know. And I'm going to know. And God's going to know. And what begins as a little lie right now on an app will become a lie on an application for a job or a lie to an employer or a lie to a friend or one day a lie to a spouse where you said, you would love me faithfully to the very end. It's like all lies are outside of the plan and purview of God. So sin is the opposite of God. Selfishness is what happens when we sin. Or selfishness is because we sin. Whenever you invert it, it's like two sides of the same coin. It's like sin, in essence, is always introverted. It's always for my benefit, for my gain, for my betterment at the expense of yours. Like, I've never seen a marriage fall apart because both parties were too selfless. I've never seen two people get in a fight in traffic because both people at the junction were too selfless. I've never seen friends fall out over paying for a meal when everyone was trying to be the most selfless person when it came to whose turns to take the check or pay for the round. I've never seen anything negative happen in the world where everybody in the room is selfless. But every single time someone is selfish, literally all hell breaks loose. And it's so simple because if only our world could get grasped that alone, overnight our world could be transformed. But our world cannot help itself because the sin within us makes us selfish, which then leads to number three, substandard. And I'm not talking about uh, some standard of living or some uh, you know, relative view of the world, a subjective view of the world. I'm, I'm talking about the idea that you know, God has a standard. He is light. He is good. He is compassionate. He is kind. He is free. This is who he is. And every time that we choose to walk in darkness, to walk in sin, to walk in selfishness, we fall short of the mark. In fact, it's one of the ways that the New Testament writers in particular define sin as missing the mark. Like literally taking a bow and arrow and fire it in the air and falling short. And the truth is, no matter what we do, we can't in our own strength, with our own power, prove our worth or earn our way back to God. The only thing we can do in the face of sin is accept the gift of God that's been given to us by the Father because of the sacrifice of His Son. We can't earn it. We can't work for it. We can't prove our worth towards it. All we can do is say, thank you, God, for your grace and mercy has set me free, made me whole, and sin no longer has a grip on me. This darkness, like physical darkness, it deceives, it distorts, it diverts. You know, it, it's, uh, it's like, think about a phys being a physical, physical dark room. Like, it's so, if we were to shut off all the lights right now and say, okay, church is over, like, how would you, how would you feel your way out of here? It would be difficult. It's like recently a friend of mine, he was uh, traveling and he was uh, in this hotel room and in, during the middle of the night as he was sleeping, he had that dream that we all have where he dreamt he was going to the bathroom. Now, there's two types of people in this world. There are those who dream about going to the bathroom and wake up in time to go to the bathroom. I'm going sadly don't. And I want you to know that in this church, we love all people. We accept both groups. In fact, if you're asleep right now, the seats are leather. Don't worry. We'll take care of you. We don't judge you. We love you. And whether you appear, appear better or not, you're welcome here. 
Well, my friend was in the former category, so he, he woke up in time, jumped out of bed, ran to the bathroom, and as he was relieving himself, all of a sudden he felt underneath his feet the floor get wet, and he thought, what the heck is going on? So he reaches out the door, turns the light on, and realizes he was peeing in the wardrobe. Yeah, so I don't want to be the next person in the hotel room. What's the point? It's like darkness is deceptive. Darkness distorts, and darkness diverts. And what John is saying is you can be in one only at the expense of the other, but you can't be in both at the same time. Either you're in the light or you're in the dark, but you can't be in the light and the dark at the same time. And it isn't some like judgmental separation thing, it's a choice. Every morning we make a choice. I'm going to walk in the light today, I'm going to walk in the darkness today. Every time you're stuck in traffic, every time you're confronted with someone who's annoying you or infuriating you or, or perhaps someone who's hurt you or someone who's uh, challenged you, every time we find ourselves at an intersection of choice, the choice is darkness or light to choose to accept what I see through my filter of the world or to redefine what I see through Jesus' filter of the world to choose the path of love life and grace and mercy or selfishness sinfulness and substandard again we, we, we can understand this, why? because you know, um, we've all, we all can identify with the sense of disgust that we experience when someone betrays you like th there's like what I would call uh, superficial betrayal, like someone who was a friend but like wasn't really a bro, and it's like you know, yeah, I kind of expect that to happen. But what happens when someone becomes like like your blood brother, like like their kin, their family, they're they're in? Like, what happens when someone like really close, especially like a spouse, someone that you've 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 sown your life into, someone you trust wholeheartedly? What happens when that kind of person turns out to have been lying and betrays you? Well, if you've ever been betrayed, the first thing that happens is shock. Like, no, I know this person. There's no way. Like, I, I've known him since I was a kid, or we've been married for 15 years, or whatever it is. Like, there's just, there's just no way. And then as the facts become clear, as reality sinks in, all of a sudden, shock makes way for disgust. You're like, I cannot believe she did that. I cannot believe he would say that. I cannot believe it. And it's like total unbelief at the, at the, at the ability, the capacity for something you thought walked with you in light, but the whole time was walking in darkness. There's something, actually the word disgust in the English dictionary means to be annoyed. It's like there's something just essentially annoying, wrong, not right, not accurate, doesn't fit the picture. There's something wrong with people who say they're walking in the light, who say they're believing and holding and moving in a certain direction, but the whole time it's lies because they're living some other alternative. John is saying, hey, if you're a non-Christian, if you're not a Jesus follower and you want to live in the darkness, have at it. It's a free country. Go for it, lad. Have the crack. Pedal to the metal. The crack is 19, the Isle of Man. Like, just go for it. But if you're someone who's a Jesus follower and you say, this is the lamp unto my feet, this is my filter for the world, then we should not say we walk in the light and that live in darkness. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in and he is the light, then we have fellowship with one another, first of all. If we're walking in the light, because he is light, we have fellowship with God. But also, our fellowship horizontally makes our fellowship, uh, our fellowship vertically makes our fellowship horizontally make sense. Why? Because you cannot give people something you haven't received for yourself. 
You cannot show, you cannot afford people the grace or forgiveness or mercy when you haven't experienced it yourself. I tell people all the time, if you're looking for marriage advice, I mean, myself and my beautiful bride have been married 18 years, everybody, a long time, together over 20 years, and she did all the hard work, so you thank her. Um, but you'll be asking, like, what, what, do you, have you got any advice or what are the keys or secrets for success? And it's like, listen, the, the, the most powerful thing, the most meaningful thing, the most effective thing you can do to ensure that you and your spouse don't just end up miserably, decrepitly tolerating each other in a cohabiting economic existence where your kids are all gone to be buried in the grave and given the inheritance. The way that you live a life of adventure, the way you keep your spouse your lover, the way that you keep living this journey of joy together as companions and best friends is both parties need to have a personal and vibrant relationship with God. If you're, if you're someone right now and you're single and you're thinking about one day being married, listen to me, the highest value is not their cologne or their Instagram following or their fashion sense or the shape of their jaw or their body shape at all because those things die with time and no amount of plastic surgery can resurrect what is gone. The only thing you should build your relationship on is does that person love God more or as much than me? Why? Because when you find yourself in your darkest and most difficult days, let me tell you something, we've had some dark and difficult days. In fact, you know, you, when you marry a South American, you better learn to spend, spend most of your marriage with a gum shield in, because it's fire. In fact, I learned Portuguese just so I could argue with her in her own language. It is so much more satisfying to argue with your spouse in their native language. It's like English is so limited, but when you have Portuguese, like, yes, I can express myself. It's wonderful. Not good for the neighbors, but good for the couple. And what happens when after all the arguing, bickering, and fighting, you have that weird thing where you all separate, and you're like, one person goes to one end of the house, and the other person goes to the end of the house, and if you live in an apartment, well, I don't know how you guys do it, God bless you. I'll go to this window. I'll take this window. Anyway, so what happens when you're in that place? Well, if, 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 if one person or both parties don't decide to reconcile, that, that physical distance can become a, a relational distance. The hurt and pain of what was said and what was done and what wasn't done can, can cause our hearts to become seared and calloused to the point where we now make the person that we commit our lives to an enemy, our enemy, which makes no sense. But what happens when you're over there having your little pity party all to yourself, convincing yourself why you're right and she's wrong, and all of a sudden you pray and God says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh, so inconvenient. Why can't you send an angel to tell her she's wrong, to repent, to go say sorry, and like, I don't know, make dinner, I don't know, whatever. It's like, why can't you help me, God? It's like, I am. Because the best way to help everybody else is to help you first. When we are in relationship with God vertically and God is pouring and working into us, then we have something to offer the world. Because we can show them a grace, a love, a mercy, a compassion that's beyond us because even though it comes from within us, it actually comes from God. John says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with him and with each other. And the blood of his son, Jesus, which I'll explain in a second and we'll close, purifies us from all sin. In essence, he's saying we need not just to know the truth or appreciate the truth or preach the truth or pray for the truth. We need to live out the truth. 
the capital T truth. There's a battle of, of worldviews right now in our culture. People would say, well, you know, morality is relative and our worldview is subjective and whatever you believe, you can believe and I believe, I believe and all of the beliefs can somehow coexist. So it's like, hang on a second. That makes no logical, logical sense. If truth is true, it's true. Like, gravity is true. And if you disagree with gravity because it doesn't suit your worldview, go throw yourself off the top of this building and see what happens. You have to spend thousands of euro on plastic surgery rebuilding your face. Why? Because gravity is real. It's true. It doesn't matter what you think, feel, or what your opinion is, or how it offends you. It's just true. In the same way, like I said, when we're all long dead and buried, God's word will still be true. And as Jesus followers, we're called not just to know that, or appreciate that, or respect that, or pray for that, or, or teach that, but we're called to live it. Why? Because the truth is, the line of darkness and light isn't like a, I'm, I'm a Christian, they're not, or I'm this denomination, they're not, or, or you know, we, we make up all these weird lines, we, we draw these lines where we think good and evil are, but the truth is, the capacity for good and evil lives in every one of our hearts. In, in the tragic masterpiece, the Gulag Archipelago, Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote this, he said, the line separating good and evil passes passes not through states, nor between classes, nor between political parties either, but right through every human heart and through all human hearts. The line of good and evil, the line of light and darkness is something that happens within us. So what is this truth that John has called us to live out? Number one, the truth is this, Jesus lives. He lives. And if you are Jesus' father, this is your confidence. This is the foundation of your life. That Jesus isn't some historical, fictional, quasi-Star Wars-like superhero character made up in a mythological book called the Bible. He is literally the savior of the world. He is literally the son of God. He literally died, literally was buried, and literally rose again. And as a church, that is the message we proclaim. And again, if you're not Jesus' father, this is the good news. Why? Because we're not asking you to embrace a form of religion or a type of church or a religious system or even a different worldview. We're asking you to open your heart to the reality of the Son of God who lives. And not only does He live, but He loves. Jesus loves you. He loves me. He loves the world. And you think about all the hatred and all the division and all the war and strife and all the economic disparity and all that's happening. And what you realize is the only hope for humanity is that Jesus lives and that Jesus loves. And the love of God is the only true love, selfless love, a love without sin, a love that is not self-seeking, a love that is all-powerful, all-eternal, and can transform the hearts and minds of any human being that's willing to open their hearts to him. Jesus loves our world. And again, I, did not, I was not raised in a Christian faith like this. I was anti-church, anti-God, anti-Jesus. But then one day, inconveniently, this living Christ showed my life and poured out his love in my heart. And the reason why I'm so passionate and so confident and so convicted is because I have seen what Jesus did in my family, what he does in my life, not just did past tense, but I need the love of God today. I need God's love for the Town traffic, come on. I need some love for God because I got a, a football game tonight in my team. And, like I've got all sorts of things happening in my life that I know that if I allow my worldview to choose my direction, it will be darkness and sin every day of the week. But the love of God transforms me. The love of God compels me. The love of God changes me. The love of God makes me love. 
And thirdly, he lives, he loves, and he liberates. The only hope for humanity to be truly set free from sin is the love of God that was manifest in the life of God when Jesus was sent to the cross has the power to set us free. John said, it is the blood of Jesus that turns our hearts from darkness to light. Meaning, when Jesus' life was poured out on the cross and his blood was shed. It wasn't just a physical bleeding for physical death. And again, remember, John's audience at the time, the first century, was primarily about two groups. There was Jewish people who would have understood the blood reference and, this, and this, its, its, its historical richness in the Old Testament sense. But also he would have been talking to Greeks and Romans, kind of like us, Western thinkers, who are like, what the heck are you talking about blood for? How do we go from light to blood? Like, what? And what John is saying is, in the Old Testament, there was a system where, to, to basically make up for a tone, to pay the price for sin, the Jewish people would sacrifice animals. And this, and this sacrifice would, would cover sin temporarily. Why? Because the penalty of sin is death. Like, we can choose to sin. That's cool. We have, we've, God gave us free choice. But the, the, the natural outworking of self, self, selflessness and selfishness and self-centeredness and self-sufficiency is that one day we'll have to stand on ourselves all of eternity. And the problem with that is, I don't know if you realize this, but death has a 100% success rate. You want to bet some money and, and have a solid investment? Bet on death. It works every single time. So human strength and human self is only as good as we're alive. Because when we're body dead, we're done. And that's God allowing us to live out the freedom of free will and choice. But when we put our trust in Jesus, there is a power beyond death. There is a power beyond the temporary. There is a power for all of eternity. And we're told is that Jesus dying on the cross... His blood been shed, not only paid the price for our sin, but it is the power that literally transforms us and takes us out of the kingdom of darkness and puts us into the kingdom of light. And it empowers us every single day so we can walk in the light with God and with one another. And this isn't just good news for us personally. This isn't just good news for us, the church. This is also good news for us to think about, again, let's go back to the beginning, our worldview. Because we all have a worldview. And our worldview as Jesus followers should be shaped by the light, love, and liberation of Christ. And it doesn't just affect our personal lives, it affects how we view the world. Again, it was one author said, from an intellectual standpoint, John has allied God with the way of truth and against the way of falsehood. God is righteous, not only morally, but also intellectually. And this alliance is of very great importance for any development of a Christian understanding of science. There should be no fear of truth or the way of truth for the Christian because truth of any kind does not threaten a house that is itself founded upon truth. God stands as the author and the genesis of all truth. Therefore, his truth is the foundation for both the house of faith and the house of science. He also stands as the foe of all darkness, whether moral or intellectual. As God stands against murder and adultery, he also stands against falsified lab experiments and all intellectual close-mindedness. You see, our world believes that if we could just be more nice, 
it will be enough. But it's not enough to be nice. Nice doesn't change the world. Nice doesn't solve our problems. Nice can't bring war to end. Nice can't bring unity. Nice can't bring peace. Nice is cute, but nice is not enough. What the gospel proclaims is by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be made new, transformed from the inside out. And even though it's person by person, family by family, community by community, over time, if we allow the gospel, if we let our light shine, if we proclaim the good news to the world, eventually they this light can shine all over the earth and peace on earth and goodwill towards men is not just a cute Christmas carol but could be an eternal reality for all people why? because the only hope for humanity is the person that is Jesus Christ he lives, he loves and he liberates and he's also the only hope for you it's why, back to Letitia Wright who we mentioned earlier on she said this recently at an award ceremony there might be some of you here I might be going through a hard time. I just want to encourage you. God loves you. Let your light shine. Let your light shine. Because even though it may seem like, well, my little light, this is the light of mine. What difference is it going to make in the face of all the darkness of the world? Listen, darkness isn't just some, some superpower to f- you know, flow through the world. Like right now, there's a neighbor on your street. Their life is over. They've, they've fallen to a, a trap, maybe addiction, financial trouble, maybe just mental health, maybe a broken relationship. They're, and they're convinced that their life has no hope and there's no way forward for the future. Let your light shine. Go to that person and tell them God loves you. And God has a plan and purpose for your life. And even though you can't and the world can't, God can it's a person in work who puts in a brave face and goes in every day and just does their best and works for diligence, but really at home, life is hell. And they don't know how long they can keep going. They're tired, they're worn out, they're weary, they're struggling. They don't know how they're going to last. And they're wondering, is there any hope in this world, real hope in this world? Let your light shine. Tell about the goodness and graciousness of Jesus, who is, who is, a, who is a helper to the, to the needy and who is a healer to the sick. All around us, in school, on the bus, on the train, wherever we go, there are people living in darkness. All God asks us to do, let your light shine. Walk in the light, and the light be seen in you, because that light is the hope of humanity.